What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. And welcome back to Welcome to Prime Time, a Freddy's Nightmares podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Enrique Couto, here with my good pal, Double D, Louis Denoyer. Hello, hello, indeed. I, I, I need to come up with new ways to mispronounce your name. I mean, you've, you've done uh, middle name mispronunciation now, I think, for like the last 20 plus episodes, so I think you're doing okay. Okay, as long as you're okay with it. That's, <laughs> no, I'm that's not, what really but you, matters. But does okay. that really matter at all? Well, that's fair. Well, <laughs> well, we have a special guest tonight. Yes, we do. And uh, this is one, Dave, that you uh, tracked down for us. Yes, I did. So, uh, welcoming to the program a man who you may not know his name, but you definitely know his body of work uh, from Blade in Boogie Nights to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and, of course, Freddy's Nightmares. We are welcoming the production designer of season one to the show, Mick Strawn. Mick, thank you for joining us and returning to Springwood. Yes, thank well, you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, something that I've always wondered about this is... Uh, so which Springwood is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is Springwood, Ohio, from the Freddy's Nightmare series, which is uh, is, as, it, as, is as, it Ohio? Is uh, it, it is Ohio. It is Ohio. Ohio. Yes. Ohio. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean Ohio. Yeah. I was gonna. I, I was gonna say. You know, I've worked on three, four, five TV show. Don't think I've even actually ever been in Ohio. Oh wow! Well, we're coming to you from Ohio right yeah, now we're too. Yeah, we in Ohio right now. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you and Henrik were actually under the same roof a yeah. few weeks back. Yeah, at, we were uh, actually Cinema both Wasteland. at Cinema Wasteland in Cleveland. I didn't get a chance to stop by and introduce myself because I was working a table. Yeah, what the hell is that? No, I I walked by and saw you a couple of times. You know, you you know what? I think that you were almost in a direct line between me and taking a piss. That though, that's correct. I was I was on, on the way to the bathroom. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Okay, yeah, because I yeah no I because I I mean not to say anything, but I kind of remember the. Uh, <laughs> Facial hair. Oh, I got one yeah. of those faces. I just blended yeah. to the yeah. Yeah. No, no, you have face. You're like you're like me. You have a recognize recognizable hair. Yeah. No, thank you. But no, and yeah, so yeah, we were both in, in Cleveland, which yeah. is which is, you know, the like the least Ohio part of Ohio. Yeah, that's that's I think that's fair. But uh we're in we're in southwestern Ohio, so we're three hours diagonally. From, oh, I, I think there. I've accidentally driven through you. <laughs> That's fair. I would not be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah. But yeah, so the idea, I mean, the idea that Springwood is in Ohio is something that always brings us a chuckle. Yeah. Because, you know, in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, there are palm trees in the background. <laughs> and uh, But they do hint that it's in the Midwest. Can, uh, I, can, can, I, can I tell you a dumbass story? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. That's what Wait you're here for. Wait a minute. You know what? The thing is, is uh, 
you 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 wanted me on and dumbass stories is the only thing I know. So <laughs> when I was when I was on Nightmare on Street Four, I got called to the set one time, and uh, and the DP is like, uh, and the thing is, you have to understand is, as a production designer and an effects designer, the only time I'm actually on set, I'm usually in trouble. Uh, I I mean. I mean, I visit all the time. I'm I'm usually there to like bed everybody in and to make sure that you know that that they're not going to destroy my concept. But then I have to go because I have to get the rest of the show ready to go. Right. So I get called to set, and and the DP uh, Steve is you know he comes off down off of a crane. You know, crane comes down. I said, okay, what's up, man? I I got things to do. He goes, Mick, I, I need, I need you to get me one of those, uh, uh, skins. One of those, you know, those, 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 uh, Midwest skins. We used to call them a Midwest skin because this is how, this is how we used to deal with palm trees all the time is we would have what are called these Midwest skins, which was like eh, essentially a really bad imitation of a normal tree. <laughs> that you would wrap around that was it was it was like this just enormous like you know uh i don't know what it was made out of you know a combination of uh latex and uh burlap right and you would just wrap it around a, a palm tree at the base and it would like and it wouldn't look as much like a palm tree yeah. right and so uh i, I said well I, I don't understand you know because steve you're, you're shooting at night. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, no, look, look through the camera. It's right here. And I go, oh, oh, well, I got that. And then I trotted across the street and I turned the light off at the base of the uh, palm tree and then got back in my car and left. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're me, the way to deal with the Midwest was to just turn the lights off. That's a good, I mean, I've used that method before. Yeah, you have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so if you're in California and you're looking a little bit too too much like the Midwest, uh, just go by candlelight. That would work. I mean, we have had electricity since 2006, but. <laughs> well, that, that's what you say. <laughs> that's what you say. But, you know, the thing is, is you can't prove it. <laughs> He's no, we got cannot. us there. He's, He's got, got us there. there. <laughs> so we we do have the odd privilege of being the only show that focuses on Freddy's nightmares, the Nightmare on Elm Street TV series. Uh, you're the often maligned and and forgotten, forgotten yeah. Uh, television yeah, series. Well, I, I I can understand that. Although I have to say that there are a couple <laughs> there are a couple shows out there that surprise me for their specificity. Uh, and by the way. I want I want you to know how impressed even I am that I came up with the word specificity. <laughs> um, I there there is there is a uh, podcast out there that that, that uh, is devoted to strays, which oh, was wow. that that cat that weird ass cat movie that I did back in you know yeah I mean, which I will never understand that you know <laughs> certainly certainly the critters I mean you know there there are a lot of specific shows out there I must admit though. Is this has got to be a a bastard, a bastard child of a, a thousand uh, poor movies? <laughs> <laughs> Fair and, and 
And because so few people have dived into this, we've yeah. we've gotten to talk to people like uh, we talked to Jeff Freilich, um at length about Freddy's nightmares, and he'd never been he'd never spoken to anybody yeah. except maybe a therapist about <laughs> his time on let the me, show. Let me tell you, Jeff Freilich has sent an awful lot of people to the therapist. So, <laughs> so that 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 sounds absolutely fair. But yeah, what uh, what was interesting was the show came about for us because I, I'm sure you know because you actually mentioned it in Wayne's book. This series has been impossible to find for a long time. Like you can it, find bootleg copies and everything like that. And then what got us to do this was Screenbox about a year and a half ago at this point announced that they were dropping Freddy's Nightmares on it. And then I think it was what six months later, Tubi. It wasn't it up. even. It was like two months later. Yeah, Tubi two months had later, it. Tubi got the entire series. And then all of a sudden, it was readily available to everyone who could want it. Yeah. Now, I, now I have to ask you a question though, and and I I really haven't gone in, to, <laughs> uh, especially recently. I've been kind of busy. Yeah. Uh, are they better looking than all the weird ass versions that I've seen? Uh, they were terrible. I yeah. mean, they were fucking terrible they were they were they looked like they looked like a a a copy of a vhs you know that that somebody uh uh, put on CD and then just stomped it. <laughs> we uh, so we actually had a funny story about that. Was I I had a bootleg that I got from a con I don't know like ten years ago or whatnot. <laughs> and Henrik and I had been wanting to revisit the series, so I brought it over and we watched it. And I was like, ah, it doesn't look too bad. And Henrik <laughs> not missing a beat goes, is that guy wearing glasses? Tell me, is that guy in the on is the that guy on the screen wearing glasses? And you were like, no. And then it cut to a close up, and he was totally, totally wearing, wearing glasses. glasses. <laughs> there was just that level of of uh, detail was missing. Yeah, but Tubi looked okay. Uh, yeah, the, the issue good. the issue was that uh, within a year's yeah. time it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's back into obscurity again. It's like some kind of Disney vault, but for child murderers. <laughs> back well, into the Disney's vault. The, the thing, but you have to understand is that was, I mean, the show itself, and Frolic probably said something about this. The show was one of those weird things where it just kept getting. Uh, bumped over to different production companies. And I think in the end, I'm going to take a guess that the one that we were with was Lorimar, right? Yeah. yeah. Lorimar, Lorimar were the main partner with New Line, with New Line. overall. Because that's where Freilich came from. He was with Lorimar. Right, right. And and I might say, Freilich came in with the DP. Uh, Car- David Car- Calloway? Okay. David Calloway. Uh, and here's the thing. These guys basically came from from what I call modified daytime TV. Yeah, Falcon Crest. Right? Yeah. Uh, Falcon Crest. Falcon Crest. <laughs> Falcon Crest. Falcon Falcon Crest was was essentially uh daytime TV shown at night. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and Calloway came over and Frolic came over and both of these guys were um okay i don't know how to put this politely so i'll put it the way that i would anyway hacks um they they were uh they were uh daytime tv people you know mm-hmm. Cal- dave calloway's lighting was was what i call uh uh shoot anywhere friendly you know uh what he would do uh or or we used to call it just available light mm-hmm. he would shoot every available light yeah uh, as opposed to available light, he would shoot every available light. 
You know, I mean, he would put enough light on a set that that essentially it it would be easier to shoot quickly, right? Yeah. And we would do our best to sabotage that <laughs> at all times. We would shoot. We would we would break the lights in the coop. Uh, we. I, I mean, the number the number of fucking plans that we came up with and ways that we tried to sabotage that so that it would be a little bit darker so that we could, because, you know, a horror film is, is lit by, is lit by the mechanics of the sets itself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, uh, except for at night and, and, and I'm, totally not a believer in like, well, you have to have motivation for a light at night. And we go, well, fuck that. I mean, but you need to, you need to be able to see, but not too well. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. And that was my biggest problem. And so I used kind of colorful sets that had deep tones to it to try and do anything I could. And, and, and just, out and out sabotage as much as possible <laughs> and and having watched nearly the entire series now yeah. um you can almost see the uh the dp like learning to shoot horror as he's doing it yeah he was yeah i mean it's, it, it, and i kept walking it you know and i'm the production designer and i'm like you know dude you, you really you really are, are are making this uh uh look like days of our lives and uh it, and <laughs> yeah 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 no the, the whole the whole thing with him was was trying to get him to like stop that coop yeah and and, and the thing is is a, let me explain what a coop is a coop is when you put a whole it looks like a chicken coop it, mm -hmm. it's it it was literally a box that they would just line with lights right and then put it right in the middle of the set and lift it up mm-hmm Okay. And that just gives you a blank, sort of that blank. And, and what it does is it gives you that blank, uh, super fast shooting, uh, look that they use for daytime TV. So, you know, all the details are there. There's no detail that escapes, uh, uh, that escapes the camera. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that to me was not horror. So we had that battle. Uh, it, it, but you know what? We did have a lot of fun because we, we got to do, uh, I mean, I was teaching the, the guy that, uh, when I got this show, I had a carpenter come up to me, come up to me. And I, I literally was at the end of nightmare on Elm street four. And I looked out and there was like, there was like still some people in the building. Right. And I said, Hey, does anybody want to be my special effects guy on, uh, <laughs> On this TV show, <laughs> and Andre Ellingson, who I can give you the name of, yeah, Andre Ellingson said, "Oh fuck, Mick, I'd love that." And I go, "Okay, well, <laughs> you you just you just you're in school now," and I and I I I literally taught them all the gigs that we had because that was primarily mechanical effects. I mean, we had very few makeup effects other than Freddie himself. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But we just played with mechanical effects. We did melting walls. We did kinds of, you know, we had things on, I, that I, I remember designing the dental glove. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. And, and you know, you know what we used on the dental glove is, is we had a bunch of a uh, beeper battery, a uh, beeper, uh, motors. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we did, 
we did a, a, co a copper fingers and at the top of the copper fingers is a just a row of beeper mo motors uh with those with the blades that that uh that i had cut out uh to put on them so yeah. so uh, uh andre uh, andre was my hero man you know he he came in and then i i i had a rotating crew people who could only take it for so long mm -hmm. and then because <laughs> because it was it was just such a crazy schedule. We did 320 sets in a period of eight months. Wow. <laughs> and and if you'll notice, there is one set that, that is always there is the living room set. Yeah. It is there all the time. We just we just we put that up and we repainted it and twisted it around a little bit and stuff, but we just left it just because it was just so impossible. We just had to have one set that just stood. Because the the guys who were writing it just didn't have any concept of you know they they would write episodes that had 26, 27 sets you know and you're mm -hmm. going dude we're in a ten thousand square foot warehouse and we're shooting these fuckers in you know four days stop doing that right <laughs> so and then we had and then we had the, our little uh, Freddy's nightmare you know uh, set over in the corner yeah, yeah we the call realm. it his domain yeah his domain Freddy's domain <laughs> his, as we call Freddy's it. domain I had a lot of fun designing that that was a that that was a fun and twisted little uh, uh, piece of work and th the great thing about it is is we put every possible kind of angle and twist and weird door weird ass doorway and wall and, and and so that you could go in there and just keep on shooting forever and ever and ever and ever and and, and it would mix you around enough so that, you know, Freddie always looked like he was in a weird ass place. <laughs> well, and it worked. It worked. Well, I mean, Freddie's domain look is like the best looking part of the yeah. episodes. No, I love Freddie's as domain. far as like the horror element goes, yeah. you know, it's the most interesting uh, yeah. spot. It takes right. the light the best. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. But you know, I, it, what can I say? You know, we had a lot of fun. We did, we did that, you know, the weird tunnel set where the, everything pulls apart and they're in the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we had jacks that had wheels on them so that we could like pull, pull, pull the wheels away while, we, while, the, while the cameras running and stuff. And, oh, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it, it was as much fun as you could possibly have for $5,000 per episode. <laughs> so, and, and actually that was one of the things, uh, Freilich mentioned when he was on the program was that at the time that was the cheapest hour of television was Freddy's nightmares was the cheapest hour of television on mainstream television. Yeah. I forget yeah. the exact amount they spent, but he said it was well under a half a million, obviously well under half a million uh, dollars an hour, which was shocking for that era. Yeah. Yeah. And by half a million, he meant 200,000. <laughs> he meant, he meant that he meant that half a million. Not the not the other half of the half a million. <laughs> well, and I'm sure they also counted a bunch of other expenses that you would that never got anywhere near the set too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not, everybody we've talked to about this has not had any shyness about the fact that the show was also a major cash in. Yeah, exactly. Um, there were there were a lot of elements of that going on. Um, how did you end up? So obviously, you worked on Nightmare on Elm Street four, and and uh, but how did you end up on Freddy's Nightmares? Like, were you were you summoned by someone from New Line, or how did that kind of happen? I was told to go protect it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I was no, literally. I'm saying, hey, go protect our interests. Sure, no, it makes it makes perfect sense, especially because I mean, on an anthology television series, 
Um, production design is pretty important. You like you would just point out you can't reuse that much. Yeah, you have no, to you build new you, things yeah. all the time. You you can't. But I, I have to tell you honestly, you, you're always seeing the same the same flats again and again and sure. again. In yeah. fact, in fact, they would get so fucking heavy that that from all the paint. Would, <laughs> From all, literally, yeah. from all the paint. I've heard that from Roger Corman sets too. Absolutely, they would get so they would get so heavy that you'd have to take them outside and cut them up. I, I mean, you think I'm kidding about that, but you know, when you did, there could literally have been some flats in there mm-hmm. that in 320 episodes that that would have been painted over like 40 times. Wow, well, right? I believe that. That's Absolutely, yeah. And 40, 40 coats of paint makes makes an eight foot long flat that you can't pick up. I can tell you <laughs> from experience. <laughs> Welcome to Prime Time. We'll be right back. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> we're back now, bitch. So, uh, uh, Dave, please, yeah. uh, Dave, so, Dave prepared uh, it better than I am. So, um, we wanted to, we, we, we saw on the resume that, uh, you had in 1985. Now, this is IMDb, and we know that IMDb is always correct with everything. Yeah, it's always, but uh, 1985. Oh, yeah. oh, and it's so accurate with the 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So, it says here, um, you had 10 episodes of Tales from the Dark Side under your belt in 85 to 86. Uh, just curious as to what the, comparison was between that and Freddy's Nightmares in regards to the workload or just the overall design of it. Just the experience. We've never talked to anybody who was on Tales from the Dark Side. Well-known <laughs> 80s you know, series. Yeah. Uh, I, I, let's see. I have to I have to say that it was uh, actually uh, it was kind of like a step up production-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tales, uh, uh, the, uh, Tales from the Dark Side um was a lower budget than that. Yeah, sure. Um, and, 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 man, I can't even remember who shot that. Uh, but tales, tales, tales from the dark side was, was it Michael like, Gornick? No, no, okay. no. It, it was a crazy. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a crazy. Um, Check here. Israeli 
uh, I can't think of his name. Gideon really, Parath. Gideon Parath. <laughs> Gideon Parath. I love I I I I I love crazy Israelis. Uh, you know, on Nightmare on Street Three, I had a crazy uh, uh crazy Israeli uh prop team. That oh my god, you know, it's this woman named Batya, and and you know when when we we had to uh make a pig bark at the last moment, oh, right? Man. The pig barks, right? Oh, I remember that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well. The funny thing about it is the pig wasn't barking at the beginning. I mean, they wasn't written in the script that way. And and uh, Bob Shea walks in. And he goes, "Hey, you know what would be great? These if the pig barked." And I said, "Well, I you know that's her." And Bachi goes, "Hold on, hold on. I I, I have this. I, I I have this." And she pulls uh literally pulls out like a battle fucking knife, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. like like a take no prisoners and just guts guts the pig right here goes duh, duh, you know cuts it open and goes burr, burr, burr. And now it's a puppet <laughs> shoves her fucking hand up in it and goes burr, burr. and i go well we'll, we'll cut a hole in the table it's good enough for me that's how it's done that's a yeah. hey and the great thing is is we had a guy that we had a guy that released ten thousand flies that you were supposed to see but then the ten thousand thousand flies immediately uh beelined it towards the production offices and stayed there for the rest of the show and and now the only way that they got the fly sound it was with sound so you literally notice this you'll see it bark, 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 like that <laughs> then you hear the sound of flies <laughs> and there are no flies <laughs> oh my gosh it's like the end of horror on the set yeah. yeah oh my god you know the thing is is you have to understand that, th- that absolutely everybody that worked on the Nightmare on Elm Street's three, uh, three, four, the TV show. I, I mean, we were all working at way above our normal capacity. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> Well, and like you know, Tom McLaughlin uh, credited you in Wayne's book, he says, Mick can take a little and make a lot. He is such an extraordinary talent. So this was also shown when we watched the show, as you said, like with the sets design and like Beefy Boy is like one of our favorite things to yeah. come out of the Nightmare series here's, so far. <laughs> here's the here's the funny thing. John McLaughlin, you're, you're talking John McLaughlin, right? Yeah, sorry, Tom McLaughlin or yeah. Tom McLaughlin. Tom yeah. Now, 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 Tom, I just worked with Tom about five years ago. Yeah. And and the, the funny thing about it is that I was working first. Idea. I did production design and then I kind of like started on vengeance yeah uh, uh friday the 13th film yeah. right yeah and and so as uh one day i'm walking out and and some guy goes hey i know you didn't you didn't you build a didn't you build a uh a restaurant for me in a parking lot 30 <laughs> years ago I go, I go fuck tom that's right <laughs> Chew me, I, eat me. You, you can't, can't beat me. Oh God. Good old Beefy Boy, and then Cheesy Boy. Yeah, oh yeah. There you so, go. So, were you the artist who drew Beefy Boy? Yeah, yeah. It was all my shit. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's so cool. So, what? Um, if you could give us a little bit more info on production designer, what exactly is the task at hand with that? When they give you either the screenplays or whatever, what what exactly is the starting on that to the fruition of the final on what we see on the series? Uh, boy. Uh, the you, 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 okay. Are you asking the the? the is this? Uh, 
Is this definition of a production designer in general? You, yeah, you can give us the the definition, and then if you want to church it up a little bit or, or dirty it up okay. a little bit, feel the, free. Uh, you know, <laughs> some uh, some people define it pretty narrowly. Uh, a production designer is being the one that uh, oversees the art department mm-hmm. and kind of makes sure that it's tied in to wardrobe and a and uh props to create the overall look of the film um i've always gone a lot further than that uh and i'll go out and 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 you know start haranguing the the writers if if i don't get my way uh but it's yeah i i tell people this you look at batman Mm -hmm. right Okay, if you look at Batman, you know that every bit of that film was made, was was created, right? Yeah, the look yeah. of it, the lighting, the whole things and stuff. Okay, that's the production designer's job is is Batman. Now, the funny thing about it is there are, there are shows that are lo- the Batman is the perfect example because it's because you can know you can look because there's the Batmobiles, mm-hmm. the Batmobile and and his costume and all that and all that comes together. To make a new and different world. Yeah. The thing that you don't know is that there's a production designer behind everything. Okay. As far as a production designer is kind of, um, it pulls all these things together, and I have a tendency to to pull together. And and on night on on especially in this show, I mean, I was the one that was kind of like doing the effects with Andre and trying to teach him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept bringing in people that, you know, were kind of like beginners. And um, I had a couple of different construction coordinators. And uh, it, it was one of those shows where uh, in, in, in order to keep a uh, construction uh, crew and a swing crew, you know, to move set dressing and, and, and construction stuff in and out was very difficult because uh, it was that – that place was open 24 hours a day. Yeah, sure. And I, I would, I would come in. I, I, I remember one night, I, I mean, I, I would be there. I would be there kind of, uh, I would wind up being there early in the morning so I could bed them in uh, and, and, you know, kind of get the filming crew in. Yeah. But then, but, but then, uh, then I would go home for a while and then come back in and, and work uh, maybe from like 10 o'clock at night until, you know, two in the morning to, to like bed my construction crew in uh, because we were always turning around. I mean, almost every day uh, we turned around two sets. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we would film on two, we have two sets that filmed on while two sets, we, we had four set places. And uh, it was a small warehouse, so uh, we divided it kind of into four, and then we would, you know, do two would be active, and then we would be working on the other two. Yeah. And it just kept going day after day after day like that. Yeah, constant motion. You know, and the thing is, the scripts kept coming down. I remember one time we uh, we would have this meeting, like, uh, every Friday about the, the next show coming up. Mm-hmm which we would then immediately start in on uh, uh, and it would be at lunch. Right. And um, 
at least every other script, they would have Freddie bursting into flames. And, <laughs> and the thing is, is we couldn't, A, we couldn't afford to do that. And B, it would have been really boring. And I remember one time the, the key grip looked up and he says, couldn't we just have Freddie burst in the song instead? <laughs> Not out of character. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, you know, yeah, yeah, that's great. But then what do we do? <laughs> Well, that's one thing that we have absolutely come to love uh, with Freddy's Domain, especially, is your intro and the outros to the episodes. You know, you've got Freddy talking to you each time, and it, it seems like they're always trying to one-up each other each time. Like, I mean, in uh, in Tom McLaughlin's episode, it's a miserable life, or no, Killer Instinct, you got him popping out of a girl's panty basket. And then <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. one yeah, of our no, most we... recent episodes, you turn, uh, Freddy was in heels and, and uh, had his glove all made up and everything. Yeah, too. no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's the lunacy of like doing things at three o'clock in the morning you know sure. what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah I, I mean and the thing is is mostly freddie's domain stuff was done pretty uh tongue-in-cheek sure. <laughs> it was oh, like yeah. any fucking thing we could come up with we would do <laughs> I, I thought it was very emotional as he rose out of a fry, a fry oh, fryer <laughs> that's one of my favorite reveals when we first started watching the series from the beginning right that yeah, was my so, yeah. favorite moment was just watching his head come out of the fryer origin story and yeah. he looks so happy yeah. he too. does, like, no, ah. does. <laughs> yeah 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 and, and, and Robert would always come and hang out. And Robert and I had known each other for years by that point. You yeah, know, I, introduced, I introduced him to his wife. His wife worked for me on a on a show called uh, Frankenstein: The College Years. Oh, my wow. magnum, my magnum opus. Yeah. Uh, so, so Freddie, so uh, Robert and I had been hanging around on and off for an awful long time. You know. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so I wanted to mention real quick. Um, <clears throat> because when we were talking about having you on, yeah, uh, in our little studio here, there's a poster on this wall for a film that you worked on that is not referenced on IMDb. Oh, uh, there's uh, a lot of films. I believe that I it. On. We but, believe that. But this one's me... extra special to me because it's Night of the Scarecrow, Jeff Burgess Night of film. The Scarecrow. Hey, oh, you know that Jeff Burgess died, right? Yeah. yeah. Jeff and I were friendly. Oh, Je Jeff was friends with the fucking world, man. Yeah. I mean, Jeff. Je I gotta tell you something. In the old, with the old phrase that uh, only the good die young, mm -hmm. yeah. And Jeff, that that hurt my heart. Jeff and I have have uh, been friends for a million years. I mean, we did Texas Chainsaw Massacre three together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and, and we, and we did that, and you know, we were, we've just uh, always been friends. I, I moved to Tennessee and. And, uh, when I, when I got out here to Nashville, it seemed like, uh, like Jeff was out here all the time. Uh, we would see each other at cons all the time. Um, I would talk to, I mean, a good friend of mine is our, our, Mihailov, and, and, and he and Jeff were like bonded, you know, uh, as friends forever. Uh, he was, uh, Leatherface in, um, yeah. in, in TCM three. In fact, I just, I just did a film beginning of this year called uh, pig hill and uh pig hill was uh exactly produced by ra and uh and a group of people from meadville pennsylvania and i went up and production designed that and jeff was supposed to um uh was supposed to direct but he was having health problems mm -hmm. yeah. and it was taken over by the guy who did uh willie's wonder world 
and uh and 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 we shot that and uh it's it's like my life has been uh jeff burr adjacent for so many years i just can't tell you yeah uh uh burr and i got to know each other about uh 10 years ago yeah and uh, he was actually he actually did a cameo in my romantic comedy movie. He played a uh, a soulless sleazy producer, which he <laughs> in, he relished every second of being that. that uh, well, you, you know, it's it's you might as you might as well uh, play something that you've been complaining about for a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, my favorite thing about that was I was down in Dalton, Georgia, filming that with him, and we uh, shot it at Mark Hanna's uh, a little. Uh, uh, second house in the backyard because it has like, right, a whole right. office. And uh, as I'm talking to to Mark, all of a sudden Jeff's like, "I'll be right back," and he goes out front. And then we hear his car start, <laughs> and he drives he drives away. And and I turn to Mark and I'm like, "Did Jeff just leave?" He's like, "I I don't know." He's like, "Well, I mean, like I had just met Mark like three minutes ago, so I'm like, right. uh, where did he go?" And he was like, "I'm sure he'll be back. He said he'd be back." And he was like, "I thought he was going outside." <laughs> So five, ten minutes later, he walks back in and he sits down and I'm like, Jeff, where'd you go? And he was like, oh, sorry, babe. And he pulls out like a crappy gas station cigar. He's like, I got to have one of these for the character. (laughs) (laughs) And Mark was like, I was afraid. (laughs) That that is the most Jeff Burr thing that I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, um. Uh, honestly, uh, we should send him a link to the Tubi of that of that rom com. Oh, yeah, I think you get yeah, a real absolutely. kick out of seeing Jeff's part in it. It's just at the oh, beginning. Okay. Of it. Oh, I, it, I, I, anything at all. I saw my heart is still completely broken that 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 he's dead. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it's really funny is is that people people I think it's funny that nowadays IMDb people will sit and you know my dog is on IMDb. <laughs> My fucking dog is on IMDb, right? And I sort of got the thing is, is I mean, I didn't understand what IMDb was, uh, you know, like in the 2005s. You know, I really didn't know probably until uh, 2013, 14, something like that. Did I actually? move away from Hollywood up here uh, up and get, as soon as I got out of Hollywood, then I understood uh, how the stuff that I did was remembered. Right. Yeah. yeah sure. Um, hidden, you, you know, if you're in Hollywood, the only thing that you ever really worry about or understand is your next job. Right. And you're only as good as the thing that you did yesterday. And that is such a true thing. So then it took, as I got away, from it, I, I just distinctly remember on Facebook, uh, um, kind of uh, going over to my wife and going, "You know what? Look at this guy. This guy says that uh, that he knows about my work." <laughs> and I and I looked at her. And I said, "Do I have something called my work?" <laughs> uh, you prefer the phrase "oeuvre." Oeuvre. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had no fucking idea. I was, I was like, I was like, oh, well, yeah, you know, he likes all that horror film stuff that I did for so long, and I was like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> 
So speaking of your oeuvre, one that we have to touch on. <laughs> Ouch. Just saying. Uh, my oeuvre hurts. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. It's sore. Hey, yeah. hey, it's my oeuvre. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you are credited as uh, the miniature manager and the miniature uh, director on uh, the Fantastic Four by Roger Corman. Yes. Yes. And I would just love to hear. <laughs> the art film, you mean? Yeah, yes, yes, the art the, film, yes. Critically acclaimed. <laughs> Critically acclaimed. Yeah. Uh, and the production designer. Right? Yes. Yes. E- exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, I would just like I to hear. I never know what to say. I never know what to say about that. I, I understand. Oh, I totally understand. Uh, that, I... <laughs> that particularly one was, uh, you, you know, a guy calls me up and says, literally in the middle of November. Yeah. Right? Says, I've got a film that we've got to make half of it. And this is this is like the phone call. The first phone call is I have a film. It's a Marvel film. Now, this is before Marvel films were a thing. Yeah. So I had to say, well, what the fuck is a Marvel film? <laughs> he says, well, it's, it's the Fantastic Four from the comic book, right? And I go, okay, you're not explaining yourself very well, but okay, whatever the fuck, right? And he, and, and he goes, here's the thing. We need to have a we need half of it shot before January first. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, Fimper, oh my God. wait a minute, what are you talking about? I said, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Welcome to Prime Time. We'll be right back. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back now, bitch. And so, uh, so he, uh, so I go down and I meet with them, uh, and Ole Sassoon, who, who's the director, mm-hmm. and and we sit around and and and, and he goes, I go, well, I I'm <laughs> can't imagine what it would take to put this together in that short period of time, <laughs> and um. And then I dived in and we did it. I mean, that was, uh, 
And then, uh, and the thing is, is that, so I knew from the beginning mm-hmm. for, that it was that I knew why it was made, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I, I think some of the actors really believed that you know this was going to be their uh, uh, their magnum opus, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as it were. And uh, I never believed that. Uh, I did the best I could on Roger Corman's little lot. And uh, I and and I got a great Roger Corman story for you. So we had to have half of the film done, and I had built it out with sets. You know his his look his uh, modified lumberyard, yeah. which is exactly what it was. Yeah. Right. And and I remember going over where I had the uh, the lair, uh, mole man's lair, mm-hmm. right, which I thought was a really pretty cool set. You know is far as sets go and and um i'm i'm sh- locking up for the uh for the few days that we had off right because we we had we had like gotten halfway right yeah. and uh i think that was still two days before the end of the year and we weren't going to be back until the fourth or something like that and and there's an old man sitting up on the stage and by old man i say somebody who wasn't more than it was probably 15 years older than i was right? but <laughs> But uh, he was sitting there on a folding chair that he had pulled up, and and he had a legal pad in front of him. And I said, uh, I didn't know who he was. I said, Hey, uh, I I got to lock up here, man. You, you you know how to? I said, You got to leave because I got to get locked up, and and um, and I'm tired. And uh, I mean, which you know, let's face it. That's a production designer on low budget shit. I was always tired. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I said, yeah, and I'm tired. And, and he goes, Oh, you know, that's okay. I have the key. I'll lock it up. And I go, Oh, great. And, and I go, whatever. And, and he goes, I like you said here. He says, I, I'm, I'm, I, I just got to make some notes. And I go, okay, fine. And, and, and so, uh, so he goes, and he, he introduced himself as Roger. Yeah. And, and I told him that I was making, he goes, yeah, no, I know who you are. And I go, okay, great. And then I got in my car and I left. I get back on the fourth and that son of a bitch had written, he was in the process of writing a film when I interrupted him. <laughs> was any in interest, he was writing a film about that set. What I didn't know was that they literally fucking started filming the next morning. <laughs> That's amazing. That is such a Roger Corman story right there. And, and Classic. They literally fucking filmed another film on my set and repainted them. No. In the process, I was like fucking furious. I was just like, holy fuck. You know, it's like, it's like we put up the tape. We put up the tape that said hot set, don't cross. <laughs> How can you expect to get another job in Hollywood if you cross the tape that said hot set, don't cross, <laughs> right? I was just, my mind was just completely blown, right? Oh, man. So then then that became a whole thing, yeah. right? And the funny thing about it is, you know, there's no one, you know, if Roger Corman said that he spent $10 million on that, that means that, means that he spent $10,000 on it. And, uh, and essentially, uh, Ole grabbed it back. And, the, and I mean, you know, this, if you were all understand 
there have been films made about you know, he grabbed he grabbed it and, and and put it all together. But I thought that the optical guy had his head up his ass because he was talking about all the CGI, and I was like, okay, look, I understand CGI. Evidently, you don't because uh, CGI was brand new, but it it had to follow a lot of the actual rules of filming, right? Yeah. And this guy was like, ah, we'll do, we'll just we'll make it up as we go along in CGI. I'm like, really? Huh? I don't think that's going to happen. So I built a whole bunch of miniatures in my garage during, on the weekends while the film went along. Yeah. Because because obviously we weren't, we weren't going to need them, says the CGI guy. <laughs> and uh, and then you know, like maybe uh, on the tenth day of the new year. Uh, all of a sudden they said, Hey, listen, you have somebody that, that can build, build some miniatures and stuff. And I said, funny, you should ask <laughs> the shit that you need is all in my garage right now. Just bring on down. <laughs> and I directed it and that's it. That's awesome. I I, mean, I, I never, it never gets tiring hearing a new Roger, Roger Corman story. story. You think you, you think you figured out <laughs> just how cheap and how quick someone can well, do things. Okay. And then you hear another one. Okay, here's a now. This is a great one. This, this is about. This is literally about that film. So, so Corman is. Uh, so Corman requires that you use his equipment, right? Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the the the, the uh, electrician comes around the corner. He says, "You know what? I he says I just talked to the." I talked to the people up front saying that I needed a generator when we were on the next set, and she reaches underneath the uh, counter and she pulls up. <laughs> She, and she handed him uh, a paddle. It's that was a a distribution type of like uh, consider it like a a, a, a really powerful uh, plug that you plug into the wall. Yeah. yeah, he's he had a paddle that had uh, three tongs to it. Right, that basically uh, it looked like a, a imagine jump starting starting your car. And he's and, he, and she goes okay. Uh, you give the guy next door 20 bucks and then you just clip on your power. Oh I believe that, that a thousand percent. That was the generator. That was the fucking generator, right? I was like, wow, that's uh that's interesting. <laughs> so so I said, so so along in that vein, I needed to do a bunch of newspaper spin-ins, right? Mm. And, you know, the old-fashioned, that show has four of them, I think. Yeah. Uh, the newspaper spins in, right? Mm -hmm. But the way that you do that, <laughs> and it's one of those things where you have to think about it for a minute. It come, it 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 lands in a particular position, you know, that kind of angled 45, almost a 40, 30 degrees, right? Yeah. It, uh, and... and 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 that's the newspaper, right? But you can't spin something and get it to land like that, right? So what you do is you film it in reverse, and we just we just put a dowel on the end of a drill and and a piece of plywood and put the newspaper on it and yeah. then spun it and then filmed it in reverse. Yeah. So we're in the second unit meeting for that for the for the show, which is where I filmed all the miniatures. And um, the DP goes, well, we're going to need a reverse mag, you know, because back then that was film. And, and a reverse mag was something that you would, that 
kind of it ran in reverse and, and it kind of made it so that you your film would, would then uh, the film would literally run on the camera. The camera would still roll forward, but the film would run in reverse. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and they said, no, we, we don't have one of those. And I said, well, that's not a problem. Just turn the camera turn upside down. Yeah. Here's the funny thing is the DP didn't believe it'd work. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, well, wait a minute. I said, no, hold on. That's, that's, that's just like physics one-on-one. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, but he's just so I went into the editing room after the meeting. He says, we're just canceling that because that, that's not going to work. I go, okay. So I went into the editing room and I got about a three foot piece of film. And, and what I would do, let's see if I can actually show you here. So a three foot, oh, he's going to go there. So we take a three foot piece of film. And I just took my arms and I held it between my arms and I zipped it in front of my face and went, you see, and, and I would, I went up to him and I said, well, here's what it is. You see the image is here. And then you, you just look at it with your eyes. You can see it. And, and I zip the film in front of him and go, now we're just going to take it duh, over here like this. And the camera goes upside down and then it zip like this. Right. And I'm waving the piece of film around. <laughs> And I got my arms up in the air, waving a piece of film around. And you know what I was doing. I was doing the emperor's new clothes, right? <laughs> yeah. but, because there's no fucking way that that was going to make a difference that, that you could imagine that. I'm just basically throwing a piece of film around in the air, right? <laughs> and so I said, yeah, that's, that's how you do it. And then I handed him the film and I said, do me a favor and just put it back on the schedule. So he goes, oh, yeah, no, I totally get you. <laughs> so at the end of the day the next day we were gonna like we were going to be doing the uh the filming right mm -hmm. so at the end of the day my my art director walks in and sits he sits down across from me he goes he says okay i have been seeing the stupidest fucking thing today and i'm a hundred percent sure that it has something to do with you because you're kind of a bastard and i go <laughs> I go, okay, what is it? He says, well, the thing is, is there's a piece of three foot piece of film that's been going around from person to person that, that, that they wave around for one moment. And then they talk about like cameras upside down and shit like that and reverse this and reverse that. And then they hand it to that person and then that person walks off with it. And he says, I know you <laughs> and I know that somewhere deep down inside you fucking did that. <laughs> I go, Okay, guilty is charged. <laughs> so that's the ultimate Roger Corman. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, I, I've I've DP'd about twenty some features, never on celluloid. Yeah, um, right. But even I know the upside down camera trick. Right. You I even told me that. <laughs> I was surprised that you caught that because you, you hit it immediately, and I thought, oh yeah, well you know, there you go. That's the uh, yeah. It's it's. I don't know why I knew that. It just totally makes sense. Maybe right? I mean most of the people that have told me about that uh, made like Super Eight movies when yeah. they were kids, and that and they figured out like they read it in like a magazine or something that if they turn their home movie camera upside down, they right. get a reverse. That makes sense. That's right. how I first heard about it. Right. I, to me, yeah. it just made sense. It just was like, well, it seems like if you turn the camera upside down, it's doing exactly the same thing. But you know, yeah, it's good to but, know a few things about cameras when you're working in motion pictures. <laughs> you oh, think. I. Yeah, I don't know if that's camera as much as it just is common fucking sense. Well, <laughs> I didn't want to go crazy asking but, for but, common sense in the film but, business. But, but, but yeah, I was, 
I, I, I had a friend of mine once say to me, he says, you know, the funny thing is, is that you've got something that isn't very common in, in, in Hollywood. And I go, what it is, is it's not common sense. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. There you know, you go. I, I have had so many experiences on movie sets where I've stopped dead in my tracks and went, oh, my God, I am the most sane and competent person here. We are all so fucked. He says, See, this, he says this out loud dude, sometimes on sets, too. <laughs> I swear to God, that's when you start drinking. That's, you know what? It's just there, there are times in your life where drinking is the answer. <laughs> So, Dave, you got anything else for Mick? I've got to ask because um, we, Henrik and I are both big movie fans, if you haven't figured that out yet, and, <laughs> and especially canon. You're credited as construction coordinator on Runaway Train. Incredible oh my God. movie. And I have to You've know. You've seen my trains. I have to know what that was like because yeah. we're big <laughs> Runaway Train fans. Yeah, that's a great film. That's a film I didn't know anything about the pedigree of it or anything. Yeah. I Dave just brought it over. Yeah. And when it was over, I was like, that was amazing. He was like, yeah, it was like nominated. Or, did it win? Uh, I think it won. It, 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 had, it, it yeah. won. It won best editing. I think. Yeah, editing. That's what yeah, was, yeah, yeah. But like, editing. yeah. Then I was like, well, hell, I get why. So no, I, we'd love to hear uh, anything about oh, making my God, that film. All, there is so much. There's so much about Runaway Train that was just so interesting. But uh, we we did. I was doing a second unit with Max Max von Kleven, mm-hmm. um, who who was a hero for super unit for second unit stuff. I mean, I used to shoot with him all the time. And uh, he was like one of these guys I would say, okay, boys, this one's for the trailer. And, uh, <laughs> and he was right, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because literally Max von Kleven probably did half of the trailers in the eighties <laughs> because they were all second unit. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, the thing is, is so, we had to make trains that copied the trains that were in Montana, in Montana, and then they didn't use the trains in Montana because <laughs> Montana had a had a really warm winter and they didn't get snow. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing wound up filming on some wooden trains that we made that were built over uh, what are called uh, uh, switching switching motors, mm-hmm. right? And and the front one, the GP, and, and and I'm talking specifically about the front one. Yeah. Because the one with the domed front and stuff. Yeah. They, they there wasn't one up in Alaska. They were they were like of the newer variety of GP40. Because you know what that thing thing is, is that was more of the G GP40 than the GP35. Oh, of course, uh, of course, yes, of course. Yes, yes, one, yes, you know, yes, yes, rudimentary. Like a, a matter of well, that was a '68, I think. So, so uh, the thing is, is we had to have all kinds of control of it. And we had to like, be able to get the, uh, we had to get that front piece on and we had to get the front piece off. We had to, uh, we had to ice it all. Uh, it was just, just so much work. Uh, we, we literally had a crane that was on another car that would, that would come forward and lift that, that wreckage off of the front. Oh, wow. It was all, you know, that whole plow kind of thing that, that, that was the wreckage of the other train. And I was in, I was in the caboose of the, tr- of the other train yeah. when we actually hit the caboose. Oh my God. Right. It, Cause it was supposed to be in the model. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was supposed to be in the model, but we had to make, we had to make the approach and we had to get the two trains to look like they actually, you know, passed each other. Right. Yeah. 
and there was a huge miscalculation. Oh no! And we and and I'm in the and it was how, how stupid is this? I mean, literally, I was in the fucking caboose making the make with we had put this little fake. <laughs> never forget this. Put the fake uh, uh, um, uh, chimney. Yeah. On it, so that we could have the dynamic of having smoke come out of that chimney. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and so I'm sitting up there and I've got the smoker and I'm like, boom, boom, pump, puffing up. And, and basically we modified it to like go around over a window and da, 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 and it goes up and, and, and so it's on the fake chimney and it's puffing away and I'm looking and I see the other train coming. I'm going, oh, I, this is getting uncomfortably close. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Prime Time. We'll be right back. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> we're back now, bitch. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, is that that little crow's nest up there on a, on the caboose, right? That that crow's nest up there is kind of a ring around it, and then it's it's like there's a well that drops down into the into the caboose itself, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm standing up there and I'm puffing the smoke and puffing the smoke and puffing the smoke and why aren't I doing a great job puffing the smoke and <laughs> puffing the smoke and, and all of a sudden that fucking thing nailed us man <laughs> and it's like it's like it shifted three feet it just shifted three feet just boom and it reminded me so much of being in earth in california during an earthquake right? yes yeah. because all of a sudden you're just looking down and going oh well <laughs> wow that's uh hmm that sucks boom <laughs> <laughs> That just goes like so tongue in cheek with canon. Like that's just the yeah. canon. Oh, that is yeah, such a canon, canon story. Yeah. <laughs> I I I remember that we were doing we were doing uh, sound. Uh, uh, we were doing um, playbacks. You know, watching uh, uh, daily the dailies as close as you get to dailies in Alaska. Yeah. Which which meant that was weeks. Uh, <laughs> it was last week's shit, right? <laughs> and we're watching it, and and all of a sudden we we had that explosion. We had we had done an explosion to make it look to obscure where the two uh, when the two trains come together, mm -hmm. and we blew that thing. And uh, <laughs> so we're we're doing the playback on it, and it played back. And all of a sudden, there's this enormous boom when the explosion went off. Right? Yeah. And and I swear, all of us were just our eyes were just like fucking saucers going. Okay, what the fuck was that? And what it was is we were at a ski lodge and and right outside of the place that we were watching this film, they had a howitzer that they fire out there to they would fire it onto the hillside to uh, make to make the avalanche yeah. uh, ledges fall down. 
right? <laughs> so it just timed out perfectly that that explosion was right at the this howitzer going off. <laughs> and we're just like, okay, well, that was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, so one one more question about Freddy's nightmares. Yeah, because uh, you mentioned working with a. Uh, uh, was his name David Calloway? David Calloway, David yeah. Calloway and yeah. Jeff Riley. Uh, what about Gil Adler? Did you uh, work closely with yeah. Gil? Oh yeah. Did you talk to Gil? Yeah, we yeah, actually we had Gil, Gil and Al Katz on, uh, yeah. and uh, they were great to talk to about the show. Oh, Gil's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a really cool dude. Yeah, for Frylick, I, I could, you know, Frylick was like making decisions that were above everybody's you know every once in a while he would come into the building i have to tell you he had a secretary that was the hottest fucking thing that was walking on two legs <laughs> i mean i i mean i i'm sure that frylick actually said things from time to time it's just that he happened to be saying them when standing next to his secretary <laughs> <laughs> So you are uh, credited as production designer on all of season 1 22 episodes did they offer you season 2 at all Yes. Okay. And uh, what was the decision? Yeah, did on you that? did you like punch a, a human shaped hole through a wall running uh, the other direction? Or? You know what I, I, I often say to things like that is if you hit your hammer your hand with a hammer, uh, do you leave your hand in the same place? Fair, very fair. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I moved my hand. Yeah. 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 Was uh, would you call Freddy's Nightmares one of the most challenging uh, sets as far as time and money resources, or or would you say there's something more challenging than that that came I up? I don't know. <laughs> holy, holy shit, Mike! Look, look. Have you read my resume? Yeah, we've been it, looking at it all for the past resume, hour. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I, have, I have no, I have no fucking idea. I mean, <laughs> it's it's like there, uh, there's just this thing that 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 goes, you know. Uh, you know what they say about the 80s if you remember it you weren't there you weren't there yeah <laughs> fair that's a very fair point I'm just saying yeah, I totally there, get it well there, is there, there any some... um, any last minute things that you want to say in regards Wait, to Freddie I have to say yeah. I have to say though yeah. it was it was really bad it, it, it was I remember one time uh, it was like around Thanksgiving right yeah uh, and I think that we were just we were like like on episode 20 or something like that mm -hmm. and, and i was just fried i mean i just you know and, and i had this mercedes <laughs> and i i i i go home for thanksgiving I, I i get home you know i was living in calabasas and and, and my kids and my wife and my dad and, and my mother were over for thanksgiving and uh there was a little bit of rain you know, as I got off the freeway off ramp, there was a little bit of rain and uh, my windshield, I needed new windshield wipers. And, and I came up to the door and I was like literally crying as I was walking in the door because the windshield wipers had smeared the windshield and I could hardly tell where I was going. And, and, and that had made me cry. That's oh, how wow. tired I was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, and then my wife sent me out for milk and I was walking around the store when my dad tried to find me an hour and a half later, I was walking around the store, picking things up and going, well, that's not milk. Yeah. Yep. Been like, there. like spaghetti, like yeah. picking mm -hmm. up fucking spaghetti. Oh, well, that's not milk. <laughs> when, uh, yeah. when I asked Gil Adler, what he, uh, like, if any of the direct, like, uh, any of the directors he worked with had, uh, 
like had the who had like the hardest time with yeah. the schedule and stuff. His exact response was all of them, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all so. of them. Oh my god. <laughs> well, Mick, this has been an absolute yeah, pleasure. Um, that your resume is super impressive for one, but also just hearing those stories has been amazing. And also, we've really, really enjoyed rewatching Freddy's Nightmares, if you can believe that. <laughs> but your uh, your production design on it and the sets that we see, I mean, they make the show super fun. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Now, uh, I have to say that we really didn't take ourselves very seriously. Yeah. Uh, there, there is an addendum to all of this is, uh, Rennie Harlan, <laughs> Rennie Harlan. I had a meeting with Rennie Harlan and I was supposed to co-work with him. And, uh, and this is how tired I was <laughs> literally. <laughs> I was like halfway through this show. Right. And I got into an argument with him and tried to defend Freddy's nightmares. <laughs> with Rennie Harlan. And, and to Rennie Harlan, right? And, and I, the thing is, is Nightmare on Elm Street 4 kind of worked despite Rennie Harlan, right? You know, it was a group. Yeah, that's a long, that's a long other story. I wrote a book about it, as a matter of fact. Uh, that's a, a, another story. But, uh, so that's how brain damaged I was. <laughs> I tried to defend. I tried. Oh, well, you know, I, we're doing some great work down there. I had no fucking idea. I was just, <laughs> you know, just so, sort of, sort of like, uh, I, I'm a hundred percent sure that a lot of times I couldn't feel my fingers. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. just fucking tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. So to this day, to this day, I'm sure that I could have like gone on and, and, and done, uh, you know, die hard 87 or whatever he did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, but, uh, but I was so tired. I was defending myself. These <laughs> 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 nightmares. So that was, that was, that was the hill that I decided I was going to die. on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy that you did. We're happy that we had the series. <laughs> And we, we, we are in great debt to you on this. Yes, very much. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's disturbing. <laughs> that, that sounds about right for us. <laughs> well, is there anywhere people can follow you online or anything they should check out? Uh, you mentioned oh, God, a book. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, did a, I wrote a book called uh, Behind the Screams, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a book about Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Uh, you can't get it on Amazon. You actually have to figure out a way to track me down. Okay. okay. And and I have not made it easy for anybody. <laughs> you know, I, I made 1,500 of them. I think I have about 300 left. Uh, and if you can figure out how to get a hold of me, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> the challenge then, has been thrown. Then you, you immediately will lose $40. And then I... <laughs> And then, uh, and then I will uh, sign it and insult you. In fact, the last guy uh, that uh, bought a book, I think I literally, literally was two days ago, and and I think I signed it like, uh, uh, thank thank God for the uh, child protective services because uh, otherwise I would have never been able because I lost your dress and I never would have been able to uh, send this book back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome.
All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this interview with Mick Strawn right yes. here on Welcome to Primetime. Uh, if you want to email us, reach out and cut someone, just go to freddysnightmares.com or send us an email at freddysnightmarespod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And we're, I mean, the show is, is wrapping up, kids. We are getting there. Get your emails in, get your requests. It's almost time. But for now, I need to get out of here because I need to prepare Dave and I to go to a haunt this weekend. Yeah. And I got you a touch pass, No, you did not. And you just touched me. Uh -uh. (laughs) So until next time, (laughs) don't sleep.